Welcome to the J2 Hub podcast, where we focus on everything from property development, hot entrepreneurially business topics, and real-life scenarios facing business owners just like you and I. Brought to you by James Sahota, we bring you exciting real-life property, business and entrepreneurially related hot topics, and that little bit more. Are you waiting for me to say something? <laughs> oh, morning, <laughs> morning, everyone. <laughs> morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us uh, on this on this recording. Uh, just quick Zoom etiquette. Please make sure your mics are muted throughout the whole thing. If you want to heckle us, go for it. You can unmute it. Uh, but if you would like to, please put on your video. It'd be nice to see some faces. I haven't seen anyone else apart from my mum in uh, four weeks. So please, if you could, thank you. Those of you who put your faces on. Uh, so welcome to episode four. Is it episode four, James? Yep, episode four. This is episode four of the creatively named The Property Duo. Uh, obviously, I didn't, I didn't think of that name. So just before we get started, if you have any questions as we're going along, put them in the chat box and one of us will either answer it or deal by speaking or we'll answer it in the chat box. Um, however, if you want to be featured on the podcast and on the YouTube, on the YouTubes, just at the end we'll say here's a q a just say i have a question and then we'll get you to in a certain order to unmute uh, yourself and to show your face the only condition is you have to show your face if you're going to be part of the live q a at the end but during it feel free just to to say stuff to us uh, it doesn't have to be polite just um do what you want to do so james yes buddy <clears throat> uh normally we start with like an update of our lives and uh I have quite a positive one about you. Would you, would you believe it? I was, really? um, well, I, I've been trying to run lately. And if anyone's seen my Instagram story, I've not been getting that far. And, uh, you know, sort of when, when I say that, it's sort of like 1.5K is my max at the moment before I, you know, basically collapse. Um, I'm quite fit and healthy, as you can tell. Look at the skin. Uh, however, I was, saying, I was saying to my fiance, I was like, yo, how does James yeah, do like 11K and he's like 40 or something and I'm this young man and I can't even do a K. And she was like, what? I thought he was 29. He looks 29. And I was like, James is going to like this. So um, you're doing something right, man. Well done. The, whatever cream you're using and, and the regime, the, the food you're eating, big up yourself. On oh, that. thanks, man. It's not often I get a compliment from you. So I'm going <laughs> to take that i'm gonna save that and i'm gonna enjoy it <laughs> well it wasn't from me was it but from, from my party you could say from my representation you're better uh, half yes agreeably so today's topics are uh keeping control of life of your business of just stuff um money versus meaning which is i guess quite a deep topic which has many strings and, and webs coming from it but we'll decide how we uh how we attack that um and then also the i think the most interesting one is going to be uh, ask holes so we'll go through what an ask hole is and how not to be one james, <laughs> james loves this phrase uh and i think it's important that we kind of just speak about this because it happens when you're active on social media so james any updates from you in terms of you know the uh, the most interesting how is corona affecting your business let's make it quick this time for both of us because i'm yeah 
Um, no major updates. Everything's been pretty, uh, pretty good. Um, got a refinance dropping in in a couple of days, which is always very exciting when you're going to get a chunk of money from the bank. Um, almost nutted that one up by, um, you know, asking for a mortgage holiday and putting my foot in it, but was able to kind of divert that and get that back on track because that would have been really, you know, that would have been a kick in the nuts because you've paid all the valuation fees, you've gone so far with the solicitor, you're near drawdown date, and they say, hey, you you called and you asked for a mortgage holiday. So we're not giving you your money, boy. So um, yeah, that was a little bit worrying for about 10 minutes. But when you've got a good broker who uh, fixes everything up for you and talks the talk and gets everything back on track, that was all good. Um, auction purchase is running nicely. Um, we're about a day late than we should be for completion, but uh, no one seems to be battling a, you know, batting an eyelid on that one. Um, apart from that, um, I've got nothing else to report, mate. Happy days. Uh, I have something small to report. I completed on a property on Tuesday. I don't know. No one's told me we've completed. We've got the keys, but no one's actually put it in writing. But we have completed. Uh, and that was the one you got me the funding for. And now we're just buying the freehold and n- no one seems to be talking to each other. So I sent a very stern email to the freeholders, to the surveyor, and to my solicitor and said, can you lot talk to each other like adults? Because I'm not here to babysit you. You're getting paid your fees. Can you fucking talk to each other, please? And I said, keep me in CC so I can observe exactly what you're doing. It's like adults, man. Um, but other than that, it completed a few days late because the seller wasn't ready. So n- nothing really to report from coronavirus. Rent is due in like 10 days. So let's see what happens. Uh, but yeah, refurbs are kind of going along slower than usual. One person per house. So, uh, you know, there's only so much one, one lad can do. So yeah, those are, those are my updates. Not too much, uh, to be honest, which... It's maybe a good thing, right? Are you finding it difficult to get materials with your refurb? Well, speaking of materials, so my builder, we bought £350 worth of plaster to do, I guess, like a whole house. And I think we bought it like a week or so ago. And he basically sent me a picture of, I think it was 18 bags of 25kg. And he said, Tej, I've been offered £2,500 for something that we bought with 350 And I was like... I was like, well, I'm glad. <laughs> I, well, I was. I'm glad you told me. So, yeah, I'm honest, mate. You're lucky. I was like, no, you're lucky because I funded it. So they're my plaster bags. I was like, thanks for telling me. And then I was like, how long till we get new plaster? He said it could be like two months. So I said, oh, I would have sold it and just whatever. But I was like, oh, it's more important I get this house done than be on the end of a queue for British gypsum to keep producing. So, but I mean, that just shows you. I mean, what's that markup like? seven times from what i bought it it's naughty because i saw it yesterday i was on gumtree and ebay and i saw people selling bags of plaster for 40 quid 50 quid and you think you've paid six pound 57 pound plus fat for that yeah that's just nonsense you're taking a piss out of people because you know they want to you know they need to carry on with their projects and the weird thing is stuff was selling people were buying it at 40 50 quid a bag mate people are like people are buying it like and it's just like what kind of refurb can you do where you could afford to seven times the cost of your plaster? Like, but also the same with flour. I'm trying to get like rye flour, yo, because I'm a baker now, obviously. And it's like eight quid, but normally it's a pound. What? That's again, eight times markup. But at the same time, right? It's supply and demand. I mean, it is what it is. I mean, capitalists would say it's fair business. A, a socialist might say it was totally unfair, but it is what it is, isn't it really? Um, but otherwise, we're okay for materials. Other stuff is 
is fine. It's just plaster because there only seems to be one producer in the whole world or UK. So, and they've sort of stopped and they're only providing to big, big uh, developments and big players and things like that. So yeah, material's not too bad. I haven't got too many replasterings going on, so it shouldn't be too bad. Um, but let's talk about control because this is a time where we don't have too much control on what's happening externally, which is like most of life, I think. All we can control is what's happening inside. But this is a topic I know you wanted to cover, James. So can you talk to me about control and what's your, um, what's your view on it? What angle are we talking about this? I think you hit the nail on the head there where you just said um, there's a lot of things that we're not in control of. And what I wanted to talk about was the things that you are in control of, you know. So it's quite easy to beat yourself up sitting there thinking, you know what? Oh, man, I've got this refurb going on like yourself. I can't get this. I need some roof tiles. You know, I need to get in and get someone to view this. I need to dress this property up. There's so many things we just sit there daily thinking, oh, shit, I need to get this done. And you know, blatantly, you're out of control. You can't do it. It's not inside your control. So why not just park it aside? You know, park that aside completely. If you know you can't do nothing about it, it's completely without your control. Park it aside for the moment and start reviewing everything you are in control of. And you'll be surprised. There's a hell of a lot of things that you are in control of that you don't even realize, but they're just... They may be things that are not really important to you on your day to day when things are running smoothly. But the minute the minute you're you you can't run as you should be running normally, they suddenly become things that you can control. Now, what I mean by that is, number one, you touched on it about running. Yeah, you were up to, you know, 1K on running. Yeah, you know, it's an achievement. I remember when I started, it was like 20 seconds, but still, (laughs) you know, so that's one thing you're in control of now. I realized that I was taking that shit for granted, man. You know, going out for a run, you think, that's no major shit with that. I'll do that in the evening. I'll do that in the afternoon. You know what? I won't even bother doing that today. Um, Suddenly, when you're limited on what you can do, you start thinking, you know what? I can control that running now. I can control it. So I'm going to make sure I've controlled it and put it into my day-to-day plan. So in the wider picture, I'm talking about control your fitness and working out. Everybody knows, man. Anybody who works out, like, look, I ain't no bodybuilder like uh, one particular guy in this group. Actually, two. <laughs> I'm looking at another guy, you know, big man over there who's always looking so he, good. He's looking at me, yeah, yeah. So, so. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, you know, I ain't no bodybuilder, but I know the importance of working out because it gets your mind going. It puts you in a different state of mind. How many times have you been there lying in your bed in the morning and you know you don't have to get out of bed? You know you ain't got shit to do, not a deadline. And you think to yourself, you know what? I'm going to allow this workout today. Fuck it. I'm not even going to do it. Because no one's going to know. Ain't nobody going to see me. But, you know, once you get it done, you know you're going to feel amazing. It's just getting yourself out. So I would say, number one, control control your day. Start, um, control how your day starts. And, I, and I'm a strong believer in your day should start with some kind of physical activity, you know? So control, control what you're doing physically because you can control that. You can go out and work out. All right, you can't get to a gym. You can walk down the park. You can walk in the field. You can go for a run. You can do some push-ups, whatever. Um, so that number one, control your physical, you know, your physical thing that you do daily. Number two, I would say we touched on this last week. You can control the things that you're doing in terms of building your personal brand or building content. Now, this is what really, really frustrates me. 
I know we're going to get out of this and people are going to say, oh, you know what, man? I ain't got enough time to do this shit. <laughs> and it's just like, look back, look back. We're in what? Week number four now, yeah? We're going to hit week number five next week. That's five weeks. If you ain't put shitloads of content out there in five weeks, you're tapped in the head. Like, seriously, you're tapped. There's something wrong with you, man. Because you ain't got nothing else to do. So control that. Control that time now. Lay the foundations and get that shit done. You know, we were talking about it last week that this is the prime time. Control your content. Get your content out there. Do you want to add on that, Ted? Because I know you're a strong believer in putting content out. Yeah, I think, like... It's, it's definitely, even if you don't want to necessarily put it out now, even if you're spending this time like creating it, storing it, having it ready for when kind of things do get back to normal, that's cool too. But as long as you're producing it, because yes, we're fighting fires. Yes, we're trying to control our businesses and stuff, but you know, we do have more time now. Um, you know, you're not on site, you're not doing viewings, you're just not doing physically the same level of activity as you could before. And it might feel like you're working harder you're busy but maybe it's because we're distracted and we're not controlling our day and what we're doing day to day so actually despite that you should still like you should still or not still you should you should focus on like looking at your day and being like okay how long did I do this for how long did I do that for and then what was I doing in that two hour gap what did I actually produce and then you'll realize where your wastages are and you can control what you're doing at that time there's a really good app for that and actually, I forgot the name, but I'm wearing a T-shirt from them. It's Toggle, T-O-G-G-L. Uh, it kind of, you can track like the time you spend on different tasks during the day. It's all colorful and it's like really nice interface. That can help you realize where you're wasting time. But another point to add to control, I think point number three, is that it's, you know, everything is up to our perception. So you could be like Sam Smith and have a crying fit because you feel trapped, even though you've got millions of pounds in the bank. Or you could be like everyone else, most people, and just say, I'm not trapped. I am being kept safe at home. I'm with family. I'm spending more time connecting, doing things I wouldn't do before, like building a brand. You control how you perceive things. So, you know, we're not trapped. Like being trapped is, is very, very different to this. There's plenty of people in the world who are trapped for many different reasons. This is nothing like that at all. So it's about controlling the perception of everything even things people say to you right like when we get to the ask calls bit you know a lot of self-control is needed sometimes to deal with these kind of uh, behaviors so i think it's really important to just you know stay in control of your thoughts and of your perception of the scenario because it is what you make it right yeah the stats are what they are the news is what it is but that really is what you make it and then i'll add point four quickly which is which is important now, but important generally is stay in control of your business. So know how much money is in each account, know when you're paying an investor back and how much interest you're paying them back with, know when the refinance is likely to come in, know, you know, how far along a refurb is like, just know, you know, you as the CEO of your, your destiny or your enterprise or your business, you should, you're sitting at the top and you need to look and just know where things are because you don't want to be in a situation where you're like, oh, buying a deal, you deposit the money over and you're like, oh, well, where's the refurb money gone? I thought that was, oh, shit. Because you didn't track two bank accounts, which can happen. So just be really careful with your business. Use tools like Asana, Trello to kind of track things. Uh, Wunderlist, which is now becoming Microsoft to do, I think. Like use all these tools that are available to you, pen and paper if you want it, to just understand what does your business look like? You know, every... 
I think uh, James, you did a podcast on it with Elite, where they spoke about their cash flow planning, um, and like that is really really important to to do, like to monitor these things. So yeah, that's what I'd add uh, on control. Yeah, just to add to your point there about being in control of your business. Earlier this week, I shared this with you where I said to you, Ted, I I just felt that I was completely out of control with everything. I got so much shit going on that it was, you know, I thought, no, no, I'm not in control here. So I took a day out, you know, I took a day out, stepped back. I thought I ain't posting nothing. I'm not engaging anything. And I got back to my Trello boards and I'm, I'm a strong believer in Trello. It's a free bit of software. You can make it look really, really pretty. You can do some really, really nice stuff on there. So I actually went away and set up boards. So I'm back in control of everything. So I've got a, I've got a social content board, which has where I want to post stuff, when I want to post it, because it can become overwhelming when you've got loads of content you want to put out there. You can wake up in the morning and you can quite easily spend 10, 12 hours of the day just posting content thinking, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. So I needed to get control of what I was posting for my content. So I produced a a content plan so I can control it. I also produced a control plan for all the properties. Like Ted said, you need to know what's going on in your business. Now, there's certain things that I need to do for certain properties. I need to file a section 21 or I need to do this. Now, you're going to forget it if it's all in your head. So I wanted it all on a clear board where I could see it. So I'm completely in control of it. And Trello lets you set deadlines for certain tasks. And it's going to remind you, hey, it's going to say, hey, James, you set a task for today. Go ahead and complete it, man. So you can sign it off your board. And then suddenly what you find is all those thoughts running around your head, all that shit that you got to do, where you might just sit around all day thinking, you know what, fuck this, man. I'm just going to watch Netflix aloud. I'm not going to do nothing. Suddenly become clear and you know exactly what you got to do. And then suddenly you're back in control. And it's a nice place to be when you know exactly what you've got to be doing rather than just thinking, you know what? I need to do a bit of this. I need to do a bit of that. I need to do a bit of this. You get to the end of the day and you're like, oh shit, man, I've done nothing. You know, I've been the most unproductive I can be. Um, Just to back that up on the Trello boards as well, something that I find really, really handy over the last four months has been meditation. Now, Ted's recommended meditation to me, yeah? Now, Mm. I've always been a person who's been quite fond of gratitude prayers and prayer to the God. You know, I, I believe in God. So for me, it's very important to start the day with a gratitude prayer just to thank God for everything in my life. And it might be, you know, thanking God for my kids, for my wife, for my house, for my food, whatever. And then off the back of that, what I found is using the Headspace um, app. And I'm well into the Headspace app now, you know, and I've, mm. I've, got, a pay, I've got a paid membership, Ted, unlike you. So uh, no, I have a paid <laughs> membership. I have a paid membership. <laughs> so that's one thing I've paid for. It's only 50 quid a year. It's worth it. Wow. Well, I'm, I'm impressed, man. I take my doppy off to you. But anyway, <laughs> so it's really cool, you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes every morning. And you know what? Honestly, what I found with that app is you sit there first thing in the morning with this on and you listen to it. I always listen to it with headphones. And when you finish, you find damn, my mind's feeling good, man. I suddenly feel that I've leveled out. I'm quite clear. And it encourages encourages you to remember that throughout the day so that when you're faced with situations that might test you, like, you know, come four or five o'clock in the afternoon, I know I'm going to be tested by my kids because they're going to be at a point where they're really hyper. They're going to test you. They're going to test your mind. And you just remember back to what you did in the morning where you meditated and you let your mind just be free. And you find that it allows you really nicely to run your day uh, quite efficiently. So yeah, meditation alongside getting in control of all your tasks by using an app such as Trello or whatever app suits you. Yeah, cool. I agree. And I think uh, just to conclude that, it's important to 
start control from the beginning. So build your spreadsheet, build your Asana, build your Trello, have these systems ready when you start, when you're learning, because when it gets into it, you're going to be too busy doing this, doing that, being in your business. You're not going to have the time to then actually do this kind of stuff, like to set it up. And when you set it up too late, you're kind of like trying to clean up a mess when you could just be tidy from the beginning. Mm. Mm. So the, uh, the next topic, if anyone has any questions on control and what we do and advice, chuck it in the chat. We'll save it till later. Uh, the next topic is, is quite, it's quite an important one, but also quite a sensitive one. So I put my sensitive voice on. Let's, let's talk James about money and meaning. Now, why have you got a golf ball in your hand? How can you see that? It's below the camera. I can see it. What the? F- I, can, I can see that you're wearing no pants as well. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly am wearing tracksuits. Um, I have a golf ball because it's good for massaging when you have tight joints. Okay. And it's That's harder than a lacrosse ball. Um, so I came up with this topic because in the past, oh, I don't know, three or four weeks, obviously it's been a stressful time for everyone and every business and that and just life in general I think has revealed to me really kind of confirmed that when money is involved people change which sounds really obvious but when money is involved no matter how small it is or how big it is like the principle of money and when money is involved in a relationship or a transaction or a deal it really can reveal a person's true character. It can bring out the devil inside them. And you like, you don't necessarily know this. And I think we've all been like this at some point in life. And I think until you realize how unimportant money is, of course it's necessary and you need it and you know, blah, 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 of course. And you want the nice things. I totally get that. But putting it on a pedestal and having it as like, you know, the gold statue that you worship and like literally following money and being purely money focused is just not a healthy way to live. And any wise person, any rich person, you know, we had David McCourt, a billionaire at PPN Knightsbridge. Man has like shoes from Clark's. He's got like a blazer from wherever. He doesn't even have a car. He has a billionaire. And look at Warren Buffett. He still drives the same, I don't know, car from 1969, lives in the same house. Like what you see is everyone who wants what they have is about money. And everyone at the top is like, no, we're cool. We're about purpose. So once people find that purpose and that meaning beforehand, like earlier in life, and they put that before money, they make more money, funnily enough. They also make more money in the bigger picture um, because some people are petty about money in one-on-one, but then when it comes to the bigger picture, they'll actually make more. Um, But they also are happier in life. And I think like this time, this squeeze on all of our finances and the economy does show you and i'm not saying you know i don't know like i'm not saying that during this time period let's say you owed money by someone they have to pay it back now i think it's more about how people handle it but the little things and the the nuances and the way people communicate especially during times like this really shows who they are and i've just learned like with certain relationships or transactions they're now damaged they're basically like a mirror, a standard cliche here. Once it's cracked, you can glue it together. You can do what the hell you want, but those cracks are still visible, right? So 
I think relationships are like that when it comes, when someone does something like this, especially when it's to do with money, that crack is always there. So certain relationships have been downgraded, should I say, and have been tainted by the behavior of someone. And I'm not talking about a lot of money here. I'm talking about a couple hundred quid, if that, because of someone's behavior around money. And this is very complex because it may not be the money. It may be upbringing. It may be differing views, blah, blah, blah. But my point is that think about and remember, forgive, but don't forget how people uh, react and behave around money. Just remember that because that is a good barometer of your relationship with people. James, thoughts? Yeah, do you know what? I always say, if you want to lose a friend, lend them some money or lend them <laughs> a substantial amount of money and you'll lose them quite easily. And, uh, you know, that's something I've learned over the years, sometimes the hard way. And, you know, sometimes I knew it was going to happen and you just accept it. You think, you know what? This guy wants to borrow a few thousand pounds. I'll lend it to him. But then, you know, in the back of your head, I ain't never going to see that again. And if I do, damn, this guy was actually a mate. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, you're risky with your money, mate. Fucking hell. Well, you know, you got to take a little risk. But yeah, you want to lose a friend? Lend them money. And I think, you know, it's it's right what you say. Obviously, like you always like to point out, I'm a lot older than you. Well, I'm not that much older than you, but still. So I've been through it a bit and I've had a few businesses. And, you know, when I was at my peak with, with our print firm, I saw it then. You suddenly feel... Actually, what happens is when you're younger, you think you've got loads of friends. Like you've got shitloads of friends. You think, nah, man, he's my boy. He's my boy. He's my mate. As you get older, you realize, no, no, he, he wasn't my mate. He was just a Klingon. He was just hanging around. And I found that very much in business. The more successful you become in business, the more you will attract the wrong people as well. The people that are just there for the ride. You know, you'll find a lot of people that are just there. You're making the money. They want to enjoy it. I'm going back to the times when we had the print firm and we'd go away for, you know, weekend shows and there'll be a lot of entertainment a lot of stuff going on a lot of flashing the cash and there was a lot of people there tagging along but on the flip side of that when I lost my business and I had fuck all that's when I realized you know what I've actually got three friends and that's it and it as as hurtful as it was at the time you think you know what I got I only got a couple of friends you soon start realizing you think to yourself you know what it's a good thing it's a good thing that my inner circle is so tight because I remember when I fell on my ass, no one, there was no friends around saying, hey, James, you know what? I'll lend you some money. Get yourself sorted. Get yourself back up. I remember walking in to get a haircut from my barber and I always tell this story. And you got to remember my barber, he don't earn shitloads of money and he knew what happened and he whispered in my ear and he goes, look, I've got 10,000 pounds. I'll give it to you to get back on your feet. And you think this is my barber. This ain't my boy. This ain't my family. This ain't my friend. Well, he is my friend now, but you think to yourself, I walked out of that shop in tears thinking the lead, the person you think is going to least help you is mm. going to help you when you need them, you know? So it's a, it's a hard lesson. I think when you have it all, you're going to have a lot of people around you, a lot of friends, a lot of people just there. And then when you lose it all, uh, you, you'll realize who your true friends are. And then you think you, you get to a point where you, you realize that, you know what? I ain't even doing it for the money anymore. It's, it's just kind of like the buzz of, of doing a deal or a buzz of, of kind of buying the next bit of kit or the buzz of developing a new product. Um, Cause that soon happened to me, had all the cars, had the nice cars, did all that and uh, never used them. They sat there. It was the buzz was still coming from growing the business, not from driving the cars. So even speaking to a lot of people, like you said, I was speaking to elite and for them, 
their goal isn't money. Their goal is to travel. You know, what a goal to have, you know, end goal. It's not money. It's, it's to get out of the, the whole rat race and be able to get up and go and, um, and do what you want. And I'm finding that the more and more people I speak to, money is just a byproduct of the success. You know that totally. People, people who have got it straight in their head, the money is just there to allow you to do things. It shouldn't be your number one driving factor because yeah, I reckon you failed already before you started if your goal is I want to be shit rich because I had that goal. And it ain't really, you know, once you get to a point where you've got all the things, it ain't really a nice place because it's just another car. It's just another holiday. It's just another load of shit that you bought that you're never going to use. I mean, so, yeah. yeah, I think like I, I totally, I totally agree with what you're saying. It's good to have your experience as someone who, who has actually like experienced that and been through it. Because I think for a lot of people, especially starting out in property, they're, they haven't experienced, let's say what you said, right? Like in terms of having a business turn to shit, having you know, all the riches, all the cars, all that stuff that we think we want, you know, we haven't experienced it, but we, so it's a lot, I guess it's nice to hear it from someone who has to hear that it does reinforce the belief that like, yeah, it is a byproduct. And I think when it comes to like your relationships, you know, yeah, you will see now when you're on the way up, like who is, who is kind of your, your close friends who are not. And to be honest, I think you have to have like a, I don't know what to call it without sounding rude, but I'm the bad cop. Apparently we've been told everyone I'm bad cop. James is a good cop. So I shall continue as bad cop. Thank you. Whoever said that, uh, in that, I think you have to kind of have like, a, I don't know, a three strike policy or something. I have a three strike policy with like suppliers or tradespeople. So I'm like, Oh, okay. You're being a dickhead. You're being a real big dickhead tick. And I'll let it happen three times before I'm like, bye Felicia. So I think sometimes, and this is, again, I'm not, you know, everyone's relationships are different with different people, but I think in a game or in a, in a, in a industry like this, where you do meet new people every single time, like you go out every single day, every, like you can meet someone new. I don't think you should cling on necessarily cling on to anyone who is not adding to your positivity and is aligned with your kind of moral and ethical beliefs, because I promise you, you will literally meet someone who is a better friend for you tomorrow, like on the internet, wherever. So don't feel like you have to cling to certain people or stick to certain people. Give people a chance, like they're going to give you and assess things, you know, like it sounds really objective and blunt, but you have to do what is good for you. And, and so do they. Um, so if it means not talking to certain people anymore, or blocking certain people out, <clears throat> then do it. Like I've done it in, in the past few months. I don't know, like a couple of people I've just totally like stopped speaking to. Um, and you just have to do it because you know, oh, if you could do that little thing about that little amount of money or that little amount of something, when it comes to big issues, I cannot rely on you. So just don't be afraid to like kill the negativity. I did a whole video on it on my YouTube, like, Bad energy, stay far away, yeah? WizKid said it. So there's no wiser words than that when it comes to maintaining uh, a good circle. But James, was there a moment, was there like an epiphany where you were like, money has no meaning to me, it's a byproduct? Or was it a slow accumulation over time? No, there was there, there was a moment. There was a moment. It was when the... I can still remember it quite clearly. It's when we had to put our business into voluntary liquidation and I still remember about a week later, I'm standing outside our warehouse and, you know, outside the warehouse was where I had a nice couple of cars. And I remember this tow truck arriving 
and I remember the guy driving my 911 up on the tow truck and I remember him driving my McCann on the tow truck and I'm thinking to myself, you know what? Those were things that I really aspired to want. And I remember my assets just being taken away, just being driven away, you know, and you think to yourself, for a moment, you're like, fuck, you know, it's, it's just all gone. And then the second thing that kicks in, there's loads of other businesses around you that are seeing this happen. And you're thinking to yourself, fuck, man. They, now they know I'm skimmed because the cars are gone. And then you see the repossession trucks arrive, taking your kit away because we had a print firm. So all the machines were being slowly taken away. And at the end of it, when all this happened, you're so upset. The cars didn't mean shit. The only thing that meant something was going home, getting a big hug from my wife and going home and getting a pat on the back from my mum saying, you know what, James, it's all going to be all right. You know, everybody falls. So I think for me, it came at that point where I lost it all and it was the biggest kick in my nuts and it made me realise that, you know what, you can't be going on like you're going on. All right, it's all good. You've got a 150 grand car. you got this. Yeah, you're doing things. But in the grand scheme of things, that does not mean nothing because when it's gone, the only thing that means something is relationships and the people that are still there for you. The people that were there for you when you had zero, the people that were there when you, when you had shitloads and then the people that are there for you when you got zero again that's a good friend, you know? Mm. And for me, that was my wife and my, and my mum who was there uh, and my sister. Big up your mum. She's uh, now following us on Instagram and she, she may be in this zoom call under a fake name. So hi, she, James. She, mom. <laughs> she, she could be, she could be, man. She's, uh, she's on it. Hi, Auntie G, if you're, if you're in the room. Uh, so, you know, you said something interesting, you know, like we fall and it reminds me of a quote from uh, Alfred. Is it Alfred in Batman who says, what do we fall, sir? So we can learn to pick ourselves up again. Mm. And that's this really important. So big up Uncle Alfred or Butler Alfred or Alfie. What was someone put his name in the chat? What was his name? It was like a proper butler name, wasn't it? Michael Kane. Um but I think, you know, yeah, I mean those are good points. I think seeing oh seeing a nine eleven taken away is, is painful, isn't it? I can just imagine it. But it's not what matters and like you know what? I think it's very easy to say, oh, you know, money doesn't matter, blah, blah, blah. You know, if we were both skint, would we be saying that? I don't know. I don't know. You'd hope that we would because we still have the same meaning. But I think it's something that you have to instill in yourself from day one that by not putting it first and by putting your relationships first, you will make a lot more money. Damaging a relationship for, you know, whatever, couple hundred, couple thousand, whatever, is going to, in the long run, make that relationship make you less money. Like putting it totally objectively, think about the lifetime value of your customer, of your relationship or whatever. And that's what you need to go off, right? Like it's a, it's a metric that a lot of startups use. Think about the lifetime value. That could be emotional, could be money, could be anything. But, you know, life is long. So, yeah. James, there's a question for you from Ajay Patel says, hi, James, failing slash losing your business. What has it taught you? Oh, God, he's going on for hours now. Go on, James, give us... I was going to say, do you want to leave that till the end or? Um, yeah, go on then, Ajay. If you, if you come on camera and audio, we'll answer that at the end because James has, does have a very good answer for that. He has lots of lessons from that. Um, so the next topic is... Uh, Sorry, Ted, just 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 to, just to add something for everybody that's you know at the beginning of your journey you know the guys that are the younger ones in the group what i would say to you something that really sticks out for me now is 
if you're the smartest person in your group, yeah, you need to get yourself a new group. You may have heard this quote before. You may have heard other people say it. I used to wonder what that was. When I first started out in my business, I thought that I was doing fantastic things in my business. But then on a Friday night, I was still with that same old crowd of people going out, getting pissed up, doing Mm. all the things you would do as a young guy. And I realized I needed to get out of that group. So I would say to you, if you're that one person at your group of 10 mates, that's really doing stuff, you're flossing, you're going places with your business, you need to leave that group behind because that group ain't coming with you. That group is going to stay where they are. And in 10 years time, those mans are still going to be doing the same thing they're doing right now. I agree. A hundred percent agree. Um, upgrade and change your circle. If you're in, if you're working a nine to five and all your mates want to get pissed on a Friday and, and spend money and live paycheck to paycheck, like so many people do, I couldn't believe it. Um, you will follow the same naturally as part of your milieu, which is a very good word. I'll leave that for, for everyone to Google it. It's one of my favorite words. I don't use it very often. So uh, James, I'll be happy to move on to the next topic. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So the next topic is uh, probably the most interesting or fun one is uh, arseholes. Now this is not my word. Some American dude said it on, on YouTube. I don't know who he was like, I wasn't that famous. Now I'm, I'll define it. So we kind of know, you know where we're playing an arsehole is a person or a behavior uh, where, where someone just keeps asking and asking and asking oh and asking and then you guessed it and asking and not giving any value in return and often not being very oh, what's the word not putting some source on the way they're asking just being very sort of like tell me this because i deserve to know and not giving you know the other person they're asking any value or any sort of real fair exchange of value. Um, it, it comes from the word ask and asshole. So it's obviously a semi-insult with some truth in there in case anyone in case anyone didn't like the two were together. We want to be clear on this property duo show. Uh, and when I heard this term, I thought, this is so accurate. I I know, not I don't know, but I see this so often uh, i think the the more uh, active you are on social media the more you put yourself out there and the more that you do answer questions and people see you answering questions the more you will attract um i mean i'll give you an example so there's there's two types of well there's many types but there's two main types of message one could receive on instagram for example one is hey james uh, i love your podcast um, you know, I've been following you for a few months. I must say you're super handsome as well. Like, I, I, you know, the guests you have on, so good, blah, blah, blah. By the way, when you're looking at a deal, what is the most important factor for you, if any? Now, that's a nice message, James. You like to receive that, right? That's a really nice message. Yeah. Now, that's, I'm sure you get that all the time, right? Word for Free, word. Three to four times a day. Three, I thought it was three, four times an hour, to be honest. But you'll, you'll get there three, four times an hour. Uh, and the other type of message is, when you're buying a deal, can you tell me everything and how to analyze it? Space, space, question mark, or dot, 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 God forbid. Can everyone see the difference in those two messages? Now, you know, the, the intent is sort of the same. The, the requirement of the call is the same. They both want to know some knowledge. But there's a certain tact and a bit of source that was applied with the first scenario. Now, 
sometimes you get the second scenario and the person comes back and says, oh, by the way, love what you're doing, blah, blah, blah. Cool. And that's kind of fine. It's just the order of things. But when that second person keeps just asking questions, no tact, nothing, like I'm direct, Jane's direct. Most of us, I think, are direct in business. That's fine. You don't have to say, hey, how's your mom? Hope she's well, blah, blah, blah. You know, how's your dog? You don't have to do that. But I think there's a certain level of um, je ne sais quoi, as they say in French, hold tight, Jean-Louis Belgrave, tell me if I've pronounced that wrong, uh, that you kind of need to add two proceedings. James, I mean, how do you feel when you get the second message? Um, I feel, I've got to say, I feel quite, quite annoyed. I don't mind people asking me questions. I love it. In fact, I, you know, obviously you can tell I love to talk. Uh, probably comes from my teaching days of being an entertainer on the stage, as I used to call it, my classroom. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it's annoying in the sense that you think, you know what, you could have phrased that conversation so differently. All you had to say was, hey, Ted, I'm really loving your podcast, man. Look, I'm, uh, I'm investing in Wales. I've seen this deal. Do you mind having a quick look at it for me? That is a nice way of putting a message, like you said. It's them ones where you get it and they say, yo, I want to invest in property. What should I do? And you're like, come on, man. Where do you want me to start? I could be here all year <laughs> teaching you. So I often, when I get that message, I say, look, man, let me refer you to a good guy. I'll send them over to you. So I'm just <laughs> passing that message from me to you. you uh, you're a knob. Um, I think... It- <laughs> you know what yes i think what you said is correct you know like it, it, it is kind of annoying and it's one of these things where like it's annoying to the point where you're like like because the person is not helping themselves like like you i like to talk and i like to help and i like to answer questions um but if there's just you know think about it if i've got 20 dms in one day yeah and i have five ask holes and i have 15 people with a bit of tack, with a bit of sauce, or who've built a relationship beforehand, who have commented or liked on some of my stuff, who is going to get answered first? And who is going to get a passionate answer with more detail? And maybe an offer of a follow-up. Or maybe I'll upsell them onto my course for 1997. Who knows what will happen? But like, there's a difference between my response. And I think anyone in this chat is going to have the same thing. Humanly, you respond to when people are nice and friendly and warm. Like, You don't talk to rude people on the streets but you talk to the friendly person who smiled at you and said, hey, right? Like someone serves you at Tesco's and they're rude. You just kind of don't really chat to them. But when someone's super friendly, you're like, yo, and you have a proper chat. So I think it's just like human. Maybe people on social media lose the human aspect because it's a screen, because they see a glossy page and they're just like, you know, give me help. And so I appreciate them asking and it's natural and it's something you should do to learn. However, if you know, if it's not done in the right way, you're not going to get the right answers. Now, some people do get a bit pissy, to put it technically, if you kind of don't answer them, or if you sort of say, you know, listen to my podcast, there's 150 episodes of value, listen to my YouTube. Oh, you have a podcast, you have a YouTube. That leads me to my next point. Before you ask someone a question, firstly, make sure they can answer it, right? Because If someone hasn't looked at your profile, but they're like, oh, you're in property. Can you tell me about this? What if I literally had just started out and I had no experience and they were like, can you tell me about structural issues and subsidence? And I was like, yeah, go on, geezer. Well, here's what you do with it. And then they go and lose a hundred grand. Who's the moron? 
Um, so just check firstly that the person can actually do or has experience of what you're asking and then check if they have free material, right? Because when people put out content, there is so much on there. Yes, you have to look for it. Yes, you have to watch it, but do that first because it builds up and warms up a relationship. I've had people who I help, but I only help because they started the relationship in the best way and it's warmed up slowly and slowly and slowly. It wasn't tell me the, the golden secret to this from day one. Um, so like James, what tips could you give for people who are wanting to ask someone a question, whoever it is, how, you know, I kind of touched on it before, but are there any things that you like to receive? What do you like to receive in a message? Um, something that I like to receive in a message is someone who's actually gone away and done a little bit of research on me and said, Hey, James, I've been listening to your podcast and not just said, Hey, James, I've been listening to your podcast, but said, I listened to this episode and this particular point that I picked up and I wanted to ask you a question about that. That shows that someone's gone in and, and actually looked at, you know, gone through the whole podcast, listened and picked out a point and then come back and ask you a question. Sometimes I get people messaging me saying, Hey James, I've listened to your podcast. Can you help me with this? So I say, which particular one have you listened to? What bit did you take value from? <laughs> and you know what? I know it's really sad, but next time that happens to you, Ted, just get the, if you get your live stats up on your podcast, you can suddenly see someone going ping, 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 ping across all your episodes and trying to come back to you with something. But I think the nice message is where they've done a little bit of research on you and they've got a, they've got a specific question on something that you've done um, and they're asking your advice. It's like me. I reach out to people when I want advice. I do it all the time. Now, um, I think I reached out to uh, John, Town and Planning, mm. the guy who's on your podcast. Now, uh, you can tell by the podcast when you listen to him, you think to yourself, this is one stern guy. You know, <laughs> to get some advice out of him is going to be bloody difficult, yeah, to even have a conversation with him. So I had to approach it, and it was, it was the whole touch point thing. Mm. I did three or four touch points before he had a conversation with me on the phone for 40 minutes, free of charge considering the guy charges 180 pounds an hour to talk yeah Oof. so my first touch point was hey john um really like what you're doing just thought the podcast that you did with Ched was super informative i've worked with a lot of architects and planners in the past and i've never ever had advice like you've given away for free in one hour number one you've just bigged up this guy now he's head he's sitting there now thinking i'm the man i'm the g I'm the man, I'm the shit now. So you leave it, you leave it. You probably won't get a response. You might get a smiley face or thumbs up or something. My second touch point was, hi, John, I've got a site that's been causing me particular issues. I've had it and I've paid architects lots of money to try and get this through planning. There was something you said in your podcast where you said architects like to take the piss with the fees. And I feel that someone's taken a piss out of me and taken me for a ride. Would you mind having a look? I've engaged his interest already. That's what he does. In his head, he's thinking, shit, man, someone's been taken for a ride. He's listened to my podcast and felt that um, I'm the one who gave him that advice virtually. Let me have a look. What reply do I get? Hey, James, really nice to hear from you. Yeah, sure. I'd be more than happy to have a look at those plans. Fire them all over any details you got. Fired over all the plans. Lo and behold, two days later, I get a phone call and I've made the connection, and I've got every single answer to my question. He's quoted how much he's going to charge me to do the work as well, and I've built a relationship with somebody who is a top dog in the game. 
Simple as. Mm-hmm. But there's a process to it. You know, there's a touch point process. It doesn't just happen by saying, yo, big man, I need some advice. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I think, I think you, you covered that perfectly. There is a process. Like with getting investors, like with anything, you always have to warm people up. Oh. Even when you're buying a product from the store, like you are being warmed up by marketing, by advertising, by the staff. So it's the same sort of thing in this scenario as well. Oh, so, oh, oh, oh. oh, we've got a guest. Oh, no. So, sorry, Are we being heckled? Are we being heckled? Oh, I want to be heckled. Someone heckle me. No, no, we're good. We're good. Accidentally, I'm uh, So, yeah. like, yeah, follow that process. And, and again, it sounds like a bit oh, calling it a process because it's a, it's a relationship. It's more human than a process. But when you're doing it with professionals who will charge you, and like we all will and should, then, you know, you have to take those steps um, as is necessary, right? So, yeah, those are tips for, for not being an asshole. And I think... Like, sorry, Ted, to, to interrupt you again, just to add, and I know this might sound sad, but I've actually got an Excel sheet that I do touch points on. So touch oh. point one, message sent. Then you know two, three days later, you want to reach that same person and it's going to remind you, okay, teach, reach him again, reach him again, reach him again. And then you can see and then you can measure you can measure how many touch points it takes before you get through to someone. Now, at the moment, I'm trying to get through to a big A-lister that I want to try and interview. Now, there's some... I'm James, I said point. I would come on the podcast. Like, it's fine. Like, I'll, I'll come. <laughs> this is... And I'm at touch point nine with this person. Touch point nine. And you think, even then, he's making me run through hoops. But, you know, he's an A-lister. If you get him on board, it's going to be a good show. Mm. But you've got to be patient, guys. It just doesn't happen just by saying, hey, can I have some advice? You got to play the game and there is a game and it's a yeah. touch point. And I think people also, when it comes to being an asshole, like they also ask, like you said before, really big questions that have very big answers and they expect a full breakdown in a DM. And I say, look, it's just, I'm, I'm not answering it. It's too big of a, either you come with a specific question with a specific example, or you look at my podcast and my YouTube, like, because I think, the art of asking a question is something that they don't teach you at school. They don't, I mean, maybe if you study science, they might teach you, but I don't remember being taught that. Like how to actually get an answer you want is to ask the question that leads to the answer. And it's like someone sent me a message or asked me anything thing and said, uh, what do you think about lease options? I mean, we could speak for hours. Like that's great. But how is that going to help you? Like, and, and again, it comes from maybe the person not having the knowledge to ask a specific question, but sometimes it's just English. Sometimes it's literally just like, what do you think about the likelihood of attain, obtaining a lease option in this current climate? Anyone can ask that. You don't need specialist knowledge. So another thing is once you've built this relationship, like you did with the case study, you had a specific example, a real life and actually an example that the person could have made money from, which is even better because he can quote and potentially work with him, but just have a specific question because you'll help yourself more. And think about it. If you give someone a broad question, when they look at the message, are they wanting to respond? No, because it takes time. They're like, right, you know what? Let me reserve some time to answer this. And then when that time never comes, because it's like a month later and they're like, oh shit, I forgot to respond. So just ask specific questions um, because they'll help you more. Don't ask broad questions. They will just get backhanded to the side. I agree. agree? 
Yep. Anything else to cover on uh, ask holes and the art of asking a question? Any any tips on asking questions you might have? Like anything that I haven't said? Uh, obviously, you got you got you know you got an open ended question and you got a close ended question. Just if you like, if you need an answer to your question, make sure it's pretty homed in. Don't leave it open ended where the guy can just blabber on for ages on different points. So, my only uh, my only tip there would be make sure you're you know if you're asking an open-ended question it's still quite homed in and it's not just left to someone being able to just uh, go off on a tangent i agree i think that covers most of the topics is are we covered i think we've covered everything we now we were going to cover raising investor finance but we decided to just shorten the topics to what we have but if anyone has any questions about anything we will answer uh so if you have any questions just put in the chat I have a question and then we'll get you on camera. But ah, there was a question, wasn't there? Uh, Ajay, where is he? Where is he? Ajay Patel, are you present, sir? Would you like to come on camera slash audio? Where are you? Hey, Ajay, go ahead and ask your question. Hello. Thank you very much, uh, Tej and James. Uh, question is for James is, you know, you fail and losing your business. What has couple of points that has taught you of you know future or ongoing um hi ajay how you doing i don't think we've met before no we haven't okay so you know what number one what i would start with if i could go back and run my business again the number one thing i would do is make sure i've got a proper business model now a lot of people go into a business and it can be by mistake Now, for me, when I started my print company, it started in a tiny little bedroom and all we were doing was making little photos and it grew, it grew, it grew, it grew, it grew. And eventually we were in a massive factory. Now, a lot of that happened accidentally, you know, and a lot of it was learning on the job. So if I could go back, one of the first things I would do is get myself a proper trained business mentor and I would learn every aspect of that business. Because when I look back now, a lot of the failings were because... I didn't know a lot of stuff about a lot of things. So make sure your business model is tight. I'll give you an example. I've got friends in Australia who run exactly the same business. They're on a big, much bigger scale than we were. Now, in the time of this pandemic, when most of the factories are shutting down, these guys are actually reporting a, a massive increase in turnover, you know, because their business model and their and their model on how they run has always been so lean and has always been so good from day one that when a crisis hits, they know how to control every aspect of that business. And although, yes, initially they had a bit of a downturn in business, they've now used that to their advantage because they understand every aspect of their business. So my advice would be if I was coming back again, I would definitely get educated and I'd get educated by using a business professional to teach me every aspect of things that could go wrong. Thank you very much. Thank you. No worries. I hope that helps. Thank you. Thank you for asking, coming on camera. Does anyone else have any questions? This was a requested feature and no one wants to ask questions. What's going on? What's going on this week? I think we should put Annika on the spot. She wanted to, she's the yeah, one who asked. She requested this. Annika, she's left now. Look. Oh, she's there. No, she's Annika, there. I can ask. see her. Come on, Annika. We're Someone. all friends here. <laughs> <laughs> You've answered anything. All I want to know was what was an ask hole. And uh, you answered that very well. I'm not one of them, so that's good to know. <laughs> I can confirm you are not. 
I can confirm you are not. Right, James, I think uh, I think we will... Oh, no, there was one question uh, from... Where is it? I can't find it, but someone asked about... Let me see if they're still in the chat about raising finance. I think it was Antoine. Am I saying that name correctly? I hope I am. Uh, said about, you know, we were going to raise finance, but we changed the agenda. Why don't we give three tips each on raising finance? Like three quick fire tips. You start, go on, on the spot. I think number one is relationships. Make sure you're forming good relationships with your investors. Number two on raising finance, make sure you're telling everybody what you do. So if you're going out to a family event, tell them, hey, I'm in property. I do this. I'm looking to raise finance. If you're at the temple, do the same thing. If you're in a shop, do the same thing. Tell everybody what you do. And number three, do not be afraid to ask. Because what you'll find is that guy who looks all rago with the ripped up jeans, who you think is a waste man who's got no money, is the guy who's got the peas. Like Tej. (laughs) (laughs) Excuse me. It's a very nice material I'm wearing. Uh, You've basically covered everything. Uh, What to add? Number one, to go off James's number two, build a brand because then you don't, you know, because then you're putting yourself out there and you're naturally telling everyone what you're doing, which is going to pay dividends in 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 building in building a an investor base. Secondly, be honest about everything: your figures, your the you know the potential of the deal, the risks, the exit strategies, etc. Cover everything, even if. Some people will find an investor who is unsophisticated, yeah, which means not a property investor, not an investor, just you know, uncle down the road, and won't explain to them all the risks and challenges because they don't need to because they haven't asked. But it's your duty to have certain things that you should go through and explain to people, even if it means they don't invest. You've then saved them from doing something they shouldn't have done. So be honest, be honest, build a brand and uh, network. Physically as well, I think I've only raised like a very small percentage of the total I've raised from physical networking, but the pictures of being there and the pictures of speaking on stage are actually what raises the money. Sometimes you don't do it for the actual event, you do it for the after event from your brand. But do go physical networking, there's definitely money in those rooms. I've definitely, you know, spoken to people with money in these kind of rooms. Uh, so yeah. And PPN Knightsbridge is the best networking event in the UK. So obviously come along. Just to, just to add to that also, I think when an investor is going to lend you money, yeah, nine times out of 10, they're not concerned. The, the kind of legal bits come into it afterwards. Number one is, do they like you? So don't come across as an idiot when you're talking to an investor, you need that relationship needs to fire straight away because they're investing in you nine times out of 10 rather than the project. If they like you, if the connection's there, you can almost guarantee to have the money, you know? And don't be surprised if an investor tries you out at smaller amounts, because you might have an investor who says, you know what, I'm going to give you 30 grand. I find 50 grand is the magic number that an investor will start at, yeah? For me, anyway. Once they trust you with 50 grand, they'll go up to 100 grand. Once you've delivered 100 grand back to them successfully, and they're liquid for, say, half a million quid, they've got no problems coming into a deal with you for, say, 250 grand, 300 grand, you're done. But it's building that relationship. And like Ted said, tell them everything. Tell them the fuck-ups as well. Tell them, say, look, you know, that project you invested in, I've lost five grand on site, but it doesn't matter because I've done this, I've done that, and I'll put it back in. 
at the end of the day, they want to hear interesting shit. They don't just want to hear, oh, hey, Mr. Investor, Mr. Singh, everything's running fine. Your money's all nice and safe. He don't want to hear that. He wants to hear, oh, man, Tom down the road, fuck me over, man. He ran away with our money. The tiles fell off the roof. You know, the joist wasn't safe. He wants to hear interesting shit. Keep him informed. So relationships is big, big, big one for me. I agree. I think, uh, yeah, Aaron, do you in the chat says always be yourself. And I think there's going to be people who don't invest in you or won't invest in you because you're not, you don't necessarily get along with them or you don't have the same morals or whatever. So uh, just be aware of that, that your personality will put people off investing in you, but it'll also attract people investing in you as long as you're not uh, an idiot. And if you're, if you're invest, if you've got family, what I found is if you've got a family investor, like someone say an uh, uncle who invests in you, when the deal comes through and you pay them back the percentage that you said you're going to pay them back, you will suddenly see other aunts and uncles around that aunt and uncle <laughs> or family members say, "Hey, can I put some money in? I've got a hundred grand." And you think, "Hold on, hold on, hold on." Six months ago, you were telling me you were struggling. Now you got a hundred <laughs> grand. I could tell you right now, everybody in that family circle is a liar. Everybody <laughs> has got, and predominantly the Asian family circle, they've 100%. all got money, but they just want to hoard it. The minute you say to them, look, you're getting 0.00% in your bank. I can give you 8%. That's when their eyes open. And if you've got a proven track record of an aunt or uncle who's done that with you, you can almost guarantee a flow of investors coming your way as long as you don't mess their money up. Yeah, exactly. So finding people who also have their own circles is also quite nice because those who have money potentially hang out with those who have money, especially if they, you know, ignoring the auntie and uncles, but like people who have, like just people who are professionals who are working, they're all going to hang around people of their own sort of, you know, I don't know, level in society, whatever people choose to do. You know, just like you asked me, majority of my friends are property investors. So it's the same thing for bankers or for other people in jobs. So just be aware of that. We do have a question for Mohit, but uh, I don't know if he's coming on oh, or here, if he's here he is. Here he is. shy here about is. his beard. No, he's here. He's here. He here? Is a, he, I've just admitted him into it. So shall I unmute him? Yeah, I think so. Um, oh, there he is. He's outside somewhere. Have you unmuted? I'll do it. Hear me? Yep, go for it. Yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, just just wanted to ask, obviously, what comes first? You know, usually the deal or usually, um, yeah, you usually raising a finance or raising the deal first? With James. someone with no sort of background. Um, you, for, Mo, Mo, how you do? how you doing, Mo? For me, it would be, I would want to try and get a good investor circle together. Um, I think both are like, you know, they're equally as important, but I would spend my time and my efforts getting the investors warmed up. So say to them, tell them what you're doing, the kind of deals you're going to be looking at. Maybe show them some kind of uh, example deals of the stuff you're doing. But as me coming in, I would be spending my time definitely building those relationships with the investors. Because if you've got those relationships built, you've got a committed amount of money from people. What you're going to find is soon as the deal, soon as the deal comes along, you'll be able to place that. And if you've got multiple investors, you can look at taking multiple deals on and placing multiple deals with investors at the same time. So all your hard work now, which might seem pointless, you're thinking, oh, I don't want to talk to this person. I don't want to talk to this person. It'll all pay dividends in the end because you've created the foundations right. 
And when you're ready to build the house, which is the deal yeah. when it comes along, it's going to be a lot easier because you're sitting on firm foundations with a with a good bank of cash. Yeah, as in, I, I completely agree. I think that's, I think the only issue, obviously, for myself is probably the confidence, but it's just getting yourself out there, isn't it? And, and just putting, you know, the, the, the kind of deal to, to the investors and just seeing what they say. And I guess it just comes with, with, with time and, and patience, right? That's it, mate. That's it. Cool. Uh, just to add to that, I think, yeah, what James said is right. I think sometimes you'll find, though, that once you have a deal, you find investors easier because a lot of people just want something tangible. They want to be yeah. like, oh, that's the deal you have. That's the, that, those are the figures, blah, blah, blah. So it can be easier. But, well, look, convincing can take three months traditionally. So yeah. you, know, you have time to find an investor. If you bought an auction without an investor, which I've done multiple times, it's riskier and you just you got to back yourself and you got to find an investor but i wouldn't recommend that because you said for someone who's like starting out with investors yeah i wouldn't recommend a 28 day or 14 day completion without an investor but i'd i'd well, certainly that's, say that's uh that's that's basically what i've decided to do and uh... <laughs> <laughs> look it's it's fine man look if anyone can anyone can do it but every minute of every day you you need to find an investor because you have 28 yeah. days then you may have 10 days if they serve a notice to complete. But after that, you are stuffed. They're going to keep yep. your deposit and they're potentially going to counter sue you for the difference lost. So yeah, just be careful. That's what I'm saying. All right, perfect, man. Because <laughs> like I said, I'm, I'm in the same boat. So um, just, just looking at the, the, the options I've got, whether I, I just kind of let this one go. And then like you said, you know, just, just raise, raise finance by speaking to individuals, the pitch the deal, and then obviously look at the opposite. Um, but yeah, no, I appreciate that, guys. Thank you. No problem. Thanks for coming on camera. Don't mind, don't mind the beard. That's back. okay, man. Don't mind. <laughs> Take don't some mind time. Take some here. time. <laughs> um, so we have another question from uh, Jean-Lee Belgrave. What Big a name. Man. What a name. I want to name like a camera? property company. I, I said to him to put on some clothes first, didn't it? Because I know he's sitting there with his pecs. I'm wearing out. clothes, man. Relax. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you are. Okay. I work. I'm wearing clothes. Johnny, what is your question for us, good sir? Yeah, so basically, I want to ask, um, what do you think the pickup of the market is going to be like, especially for HMOs after lockdown? Because obviously, people are going to be more reluctant to pay X amount and commit to basically buying a rent and a property afterwards, thinking because the type of workers, what type of people that um, live in HMOs, like blue collar workers, a lot of people that the type that lost their jobs. So do you mean, uh, when you say like the pickup of the market, do you mean for tenants or for people like us buying houses? Tenants. Uh, James, you have a HMO. Yeah. Um, John, how you doing? At the moment, I know it's sketchy for people. At the moment, I know it's all sketchy for people with what's going on, but I'm a strong believer once all this is over... There's going to be huge amounts of unemployment, yeah? People are going to lose their job. You know, people that have been furloughed, okay, I honestly feel if this goes on any longer, you guys, I'm sorry to say it, but you're losing your job or you're going to get a massive cut. If you've already had a reduction in your wages, the chances are when you go back, you might lose your job. What does that mean when you lose your job? It means that you might have to give up that nice swanky flat that you're renting or you may, even worst case scenario, have to, you know, have to sell a house. And, H and I feel that's where HMOs come in in a perfect sense. Now, if you've got a nice-looking HMO, like, you know, stuff that May Green do or, or B-Space or all these guys, and, and it just looks so, so good, 
why wouldn't you want to move into there? Why would you want to pay £900, £1,000 for a flat when you could move into something that looks so good for 400 quid a month or 450 quid a month? I feel there's going to be a massive market for HMROs as soon as we're out of this. In fact, I think a lot of people are going to be looking towards those other than flats, but that's just my opinion. I'm in the HMO market, so I hope my opinion's right. Yeah, yeah I see. Cool. Thank you for... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I see where you're coming from, man. Yeah, yeah, Thank you for asking the question, John Lee. Uh, James Ahota, should yes, we should we call it a day? I've just put in the chat last question, anyone, but uh, I believe we can probably bid farewell. Ooh, you got a last question from Suresh. Suresh, come on camera, man. I know, I know you're there. Say something. Hey, everybody. So, um, James, my question was, how did you move from print to property? I know um, people do property in the background. Did you, was you doing property in the background while you had your print business or, or how did you decide to move into property and what was sort of like, your first deal and how have you progressed into the strategy that you're doing, i.e. HMOs? Hi, sir. How you doing? Yeah, good, man. Good. So I, alongside my uh, print business, I was always dabbling in property. What I mean dabbling, some people might say, yeah, this wasn't really dabbling. They were quite big deals. I mean, I was doing a conversion from a house to two flats, did a commercial uh, planning uplift for residential. I always had my hands in some kind of property deal alongside print. And what I realized when I came out of print was I, when I looked at everything um, and assessed everything, I realized even during the time of running the business, although I was cash flowing heavily, I had a lot of money through the business. Any true money I actually made was in property. So for me, as soon as the print business went down, it was really a no-brainer just to concentrate full-time on the property business. And for me, it was my wife who gave me the kick up the ass and said, look, you've got a couple of plots of lands that you own. Just go ahead, start building the houses that you've always wanted to build on there and do something that you really enjoy. So it was like a, it was quite an easy progression for me, kind of just to move away from the print into the property. Um, but I was always, I always had my foot in the property game uh, alongside the business. I was always investing our profits back into some kind of, some kind of property and I'm kind of really glad I did. Okay, brilliant. Yeah, that, that answers my question. Um, I know the rough comes with the smooth, um, but since I've um, started my journey in property, I've had a lot of rough, but I know that there's light at the end of the tunnel. Um, I think Ted knows my situation. I think Annika knows as well in terms of the bad experiences I've had with, with an architect for, for two sites and, uh, a refurb that's turned into quite a heavy renovation. Um, but but I see the light at the end of the tunnel and I know everything that I'm doing um, is a learning curve. So I think uh, moving forward, I'll be able to um, have more clarity um, as to what I want to do, which direction I want to go in. But um, So if it makes you feel any better, mate, you know, it's not been a plain sailing journey for me and property either. You know, I've, I've lost close to £100,000 through some dodgy contractors. I've wasted a lot of money with architects. Architects are the worst. You know, they're so difficult to find a good architect because a lot of them will feed you a lot of shit. And like yourself, I've had renovations that have turned into major back-to-brick things where you thought it was just yeah. a small renovation. So I think the fact that you're learning all these lessons early on in your property game is only going to make you stronger when you come out the other end. 
And I would say as easy as it sometimes sounds to chuck the towel in and give up. If you quit now, you know, you, it, it's really not worth it, man. Just take them as learning blocks and stuff that you're learning from right now, because um, it's good that you're going through it now, rather than when you're in a deal where you're building multiple complexes or multiple big deals in, and you're learning lessons then. It's nice to learn them early on. And it's always difficult to lose money. But my advice is, you know, don't beat yourself up on that bad energy. Let it go and, 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 and move forward, man. You've got you to gotta let it go. Because if you don't let it go, it will just consume you and it will just eat you. And when I lost £100,000, it was eating me. It was eating me really, really bad. And I had to say to myself, you know what? If I don't let this go, the project won't get over the line. And what was really good for me as well, the market rose and we made more money in the end. So with every negative, I think there's going to be two positives for you. You might not see it right now. And right now you might be thinking, fuck, man, I'm in such a bad place. Why did I put myself in it? You know, you started, you're halfway through that tunnel. You might as well keep going till you get to the end. You know, you don't want to stay where you are. You want to dig yourself out and see the light at the end of the tunnel, man. And uh, yeah, that would be my advice to you. Brilliant. Brilliant advice. No, appreciate your words, man. And, and um, well done to you as well for getting out from where you were and where you are today so great thanks Rish. and i'm going to start listening to your podcast as well and see if it's better than teddy's one hey. <laughs> this is very good uh, cheers, uh, okay you. so thanks for coming on camera uh so last question before we sign off it's a written one uh for mohit he says uh, james do you cut your own hair uh always looking so fresh and so clean <laughs> Uh, no, Mohit, I don't cut my hair. I'm used to having my hair cut every single week and I haven't had a haircut for four weeks. Um, so yeah, I'm a regular in my barbershop and uh, although my barber set up a kind of a quarantine-based barbershop like he seems to call it, I've told him, <laughs> you, we're, we're, not at, we're not at two meter distance. All you've done is set up a barbershop in the back of your garden and you're allowing one person at a time. I said, that is not social distancing, my friend. <laughs> Definitely not. Right. Well, look, everyone, thank you so much for joining us for episode four of the Property Duo podcast. This will be on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and both of our podcasts. So every Thursday at 10 a.m. See everyone next week. Thanks, guys. Thanks for tuning in to the J2 Hub podcast with James Sahota. If you like the podcast, feel free to subscribe so you never miss another podcast from James. And if you got value from this podcast, do take the time to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever else you consume your podcast content from. And remember, you're never too late to become something you truly want to become.